0: With a spike in coronavirus cases expected, Americans tonight facing massive change. From virtual classrooms and working from home to growing shortages and, for some, indefinite isolation.
1: Here's the big picture with COVID-19 right now. There are more than 113,000 cases in the world in more than 110 countries. And there are more than 3,900 deaths. Breaking news on Italy's unprecedented lockdown. All of Italy is now going to be under the same condition. All of Italy now, in effect, about a minute from the close of the markets, the Dow headed for its worst single-day point loss since the Great Recession back in 2008. Fears of the spread of COVID-19 plus a crash in oil prices pushed rattled investors to sell so fast today trading was temporarily halted at one point.
2: All of those news reports were from exactly one year ago, March 9th, 2020. What a year it has been. And looking back, it's clear we were just beginning to feel the full impact of COVID-19 then. Our efforts to fight the virus were in the early innings. But today's guest was already deep in battle by that point last year. His name is Mike Roman. He is the CEO of 3M, and they are the company that produces, among many, many other things, including my favorite product, Post-it Notes, they produce the N95 mask. He joins us today on Leadership Next. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
3: And you know, Alan, I love that introduction. I am reflecting on where I was a year ago, and I don't think I've ever told you this story, and I wanna know what you were thinking at this very time. I had accepted the last speaking engagement uh, before the shutdown. It was a race ahead engagement, and some amazing students from Cornell had invited me to speak. And I got on the plane, and I wasn't so sure. And by the time I got there, every single other panelist had canceled, and most of the students wow. ended, ended wow. up just being me and four amazing students. I still love them very much, but I, I when I landed, I thought, oh, my Lord, well, I have made well, a terrible mistake.
2: What an experience. I, I was actually about to get on a plane, too, was going to fly to... Park City with my family on Saturday, was Saturday, March 13th. We were getting ready to go and continue to debate right up until the end of the day on Friday, whether we were going to do it or not. Decided not to, which was a good thing because they closed the resort that day. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, on my grim flight back, I was thinking about you and me and all of our colleagues in the office. What was that decision like for you?
2: Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting, it wasn't a hard decision. It's just that we had no idea it was going to be for a year. We thought we were going to, oh, we'll see yeah. what it's like to work from home for a week or two weeks. <laughs> so it, it was, uh, no one knew what was in store for us. Uh, Mike Roman, our guest, actually got into this a little bit earlier because they make N95 masks and ship them around the globe. And of course, when the virus broke out in China, the demand for those things uh, went up quickly. So it's a really interesting conversation, Ellen. We're glad to have him here.
3: Yes, we are. Mike,
2: you and I met in person a little over a year ago. Imagine that, meeting in person, in Fortune's offices. Uh, Ellen, imagine that, being in Fortune's offices. (laughs) And you were already feeling the pressures around personal protective equipment, the N95 masks in particular. Can you just tell us what it's been like being a manufacturer of personal protective equipment in the middle of this pandemic?
0: Yeah, Alan, when we were together in person last year, we had already started to ramp up in response to the pandemic. And I would say, you know, we stepped up as a company really in the face of when the world needed us most. Our people did a great job. Coming out of SARS, we had developed a strategy to have idle capacity available for the next pandemic. We didn't anticipate a global pandemic like we're faced in in COVID nineteen, we responded and and have been ramping up capacity ever since. So, our priorities. I, I was talking with Ellen. Uh, it was a year ago where we set our priorities for operating in the pandemic as a leadership team: protect our employees so we could keep executing, fight the pandemic from every angle, and deliver for our customers and shareholders as we went through the uncertainty that we were facing. And that fight for the pandemic that was front and center, and we had to add capacity. We had to shift from serving traditionally industrial customers to healthcare workers and first responders. So it was an incredible, uh, I I would say, responsibility, but it really an opportunity for our people to step up and make a difference.
2: Give us some sense of the magnitude of this. How much did you increase capacity and how did you go about doing that?
0: Yeah. So we, uh, we doubled our output from the beginning of the year with that idle capacity. Then we invested in additional capacity and then added partnership with the DOD mm. to add more capacity as we went through the year. So we doubled again by the middle of the year. We were delivering at that point over 60 million uh, respirators per month out of our factories in the U.S. This is a U.S. basis. If you look at for the total year, we distributed two billion respirators globally, N95 respirators to frontline healthcare workers and first responders and over so half of that in the US.
2: Compared to what in 2019?
0: Oh, uh, it was a four-fold increase by the end of the year over Four- what, we did in, uh, what we did in 2019. So it was adding capabilities and turning on capacity and then it was investing in, and doing things in weeks that would have taken months or even years to add additional capacity. So going from March and turning on capacity in September we've never done anything like that. We really took advantage of partnerships, public private partnerships and private private partnerships to do that. And now we enter 2021 with an annual run rate of 2.5 billion respirators and we continue to expand. We're delivering more than ever before Amazing. every month.
3: How did you do it safely? Could you walk us t- take us back in time and t- to how you managed to make sure that none of your factories were shutting down, in fact, that you were growing. How did you do it safely? And and who were you partnering with that really made a difference?
0: Yeah, and it was, as we went into the pandemic and the economies shut down, we continued to operate. And we had to change our our work protocols. That keeping employees safe was the first priority. We have about half of our 95,000 employees globally are in factories. And those continue to operate throughout the pandemic. Certainly the N95 respirator factories are running 24-7 but all of our factories were operating around the world throughout the pandemic. So new protocols, new safety protocols, safe distancing, new cleaning and disinfectant. The rest of our workers, for the most part, went in March to work remotely. Some in China had started to work remotely in first quarter, but the rest of the world followed very quickly. And now, even to this day, we have about half our employees working remotely as we come into 2021.
3: You know, 3M has is a very old company, and it has an interesting history and a beloved history. We we mostly know the post-it notes, perhaps in the modern era, but now we know the N95s. greatest
2: invention of modern times.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it does everything. It's almost as good as duct tape. Am I right? <laughs> But now we know n ninety fives, you know it's like it's part of our lexicon. It's part of how we think about your company. and i I just can't help but reflect on some of the drama around that. You know, in this terrible time, they were counterfeit n ninety fives. We're trying to figure out which is real and which isn't. you there's a There's a Twitter dust up between you and the the former president. It's just how did you handle that part of it?
0: well, it's a, it was really a, an awakening for us as a company when you step up in the face of the pandemic. There are increased expectations for leadership as you do that, and it was part of our focus from the beginning was delivering product to where it was needed, frontline healthcare workers and first responders. We quickly realized that we had to do more. We were in the spotlight as a company. We had to help fight fraud and price gouging that was going on in the N95 marketplace, and it took us time to really, to recognize what else we could do and step into it. So through that March, April timeframe in particular, it took a while for us to get to where we had a clear, very effective working partnership. But we have very strong partnerships throughout the, the year as a result of that effort.
2: Mike, it seems like this is a really fundamental challenge for our capitalist system. You can't run your company to prepare for a once-in-a-century pandemic or a once-in-a-century weather event or a you know never-before cyber attack or all the things that the world can throw at you. This day, how do we organize ourselves? I, I say this in part, by the way, because President Biden recently signed this sweeping executive order on supply chains, and it wasn't just about personal protective equipment; it was about computer chips. You know, Ford Motor Company is shut down making some trucks because it can't get enough computer chips. And it was talking about geopolitical issues. You know, can we get all our rare earth minerals from China in a world where the relationship with China is not that secure? How do we organize ourselves to be prepared for these kind of black swan events?
0: Well, I I would say a common theme throughout the pandemic is that uh, many trends that were there even before the pandemic accelerated and really have driven a clear view that business is changing, the, the world is changing. And I would expect that to impact supply chains significantly as we move ahead. And you see that in some of the areas that you outlined there. there. We're looking at what are critical supply chains geographically, strategically to countries around the world. And it's not the US alone. Other countries are, are looking at this as well. I would say for us as a company, I, this reaffirmed our model. Our model has been to manufacture close to customers, to do that regionally around mm-hmm. the world. When other countries offshored from the United States, we never mm-hmm. left. We manufacture nearly everything we sell in the United States in factories in 29 states in the United States. Well, We've always had a domestic supply chain, and that's true in other countries around the world as well. Why?
2: Why is that? Why didn't you, when the whole world was offshoring and globalizing their supply chains, why didn't 3M's?
0: Well, it's very true to our model. Our model is to innovate for our customers. Our vision and our our purpose in a simple form is apply science to improve lives. And we do that close to customers around the world. That takes innovation. That takes research and development. It takes market innovation. It takes manufacturing innovation. You have to keep that close to those markets. And it's helped us serve those markets well and effectively. And it's a, a strategy that also had the benefit of of being well positioned as the pandemic hit. We weren't dependent on N95 respirator from overseas. We had the largest manufacturing footprint for and output for our N95 was in the United States in the market that had the greatest demand. And we were able to use that as a base to expand as we talked about. And coming out of it, as our customers start to think about shifting their supply chains, we are positioned around the world to be able to move with them. So it's, it is something that goes hand-in-hand hand with how we innovate, and, and I think it certainly uh, looks like it's going to serve us well as we take those learnings through the pandemic.
2: We'll hear more from Mike in just a few minutes, but his talk of starting to look ahead past the pandemic created an opportunity for us to look ahead more broadly. Fortune recently conducted a survey along with Deloitte who, yes, also happens to be the sponsor of this podcast. The survey asked leaders of big companies how they're feeling about the future. I asked Joe Yukazoglu, CEO of Deloitte, what he found most striking about the results.
1: Alan, there's still a disconnect between the daily lived experience of people, which is pretty challenging given that the circumstances that the country is going through, as opposed to the economic outlook, which the survey would suggest is pretty positive.
2: Yeah, I I was frankly a little shocked. I don't think any of us, when we went into this a year ago, would have expected this. But 58% of the CEOs say their revenues have either recovered or never fell. Another 29% expect their revenues to recover to pre-pandemic levels this year. And there are only 4% who don't really see recovery in the foreseeable future.
1: But we're still seeing this so-called k shaped recovery where certain industries, those that are technology-based, those that have been able to virtualize are thriving and doing better than ever. But at the same time, we shouldn't understate the amount of challenge and pain being experienced by certain segments of the economy. And as a result, the need to make certain that we provide relief for those who are continuing to suffer.
2: Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, this survey was CEOs of mostly large companies. It doesn't capture the restaurateur or the small retailer or all of those people who have been hit hard by this. Hey, Joe, so as people start to come back to work, there are also interesting questions about how they will come back. A lot of talk about hybrid work environments, 75% of the CEOs who answered this survey believe they will need less office space in the future. So we're talking about a return that's very different than what existed before the pandemic.
1: Alan, I've been having a number of conversations with leaders of our clients over the past several months. The, The one commonality is that no one is talking about going back to the old way. The real focus now is on how to actually operationalize that hybrid approach. And there ought to be a real benefit from a quality of life standpoint coming out of this. Less time spent commuting, more geographic flexibility, a lower carbon footprint. There's some real positives that are going to come out of this.
2: Let's talk about business travel because that was another thing that popped up in the survey The CEOs we talked to said, even in 2022, they expect business travel to be a fraction. I think it came out at around 57% of what it was in the road warrior days of 2019. Why is that? And do you think that's accurate?
1: I do think in the immediate aftermath of COVID, there's actually some pent-up demand out there. The real question is, what is the steady state going forward? We've learned a lot. And there's a recognition that the same extent of travel is probably not necessary to accomplish one's business objectives, but some extent of travel is. Keeping those personal relationships intact, that will continue to have a role going forward. So it's all a measure of balance. If I used to take four trips to Europe, do I perhaps take two trips to Europe and then do two of those virtually? It will open up a lot more flexibility.
2: Joe, you and I have had a number of conversations about what I think is one of the most surprising and important ramifications of the pandemic, which is the acceleration of digital innovation. In the poll, 85% of the CEOs agreed that their digital innovation had significantly accelerated during the crisis. Does that pace, can that pace continue once the pandemic passes?
1: One of the you know remarkable elements of the past year has been that people then have a choice. and it's amazing how much agility you can display <laughs> and how quickly you can innovate when the alternative is far worse than any risk <laughs> of actually moving at pace. And so I do think there's some lessons learned here. When you look at the good that's come from this acceleration of digital transformation, the new ways, of freeing up people to collaborate with each other, the new ways of engaging with customers on a much more targeted, meaningful, rich basis, the efficiencies and increasing effectiveness of how companies run their back office, those are becoming business imperatives that are going to persist post-pandemic and the benefits to the real economy will be significant. We're already seeing for the first time in many years, a meaningful uptick in the productivity that economists are measuring across the economy, which I think just further reinforces the business validation of the acceleration of investment that companies have made.
3: And we're back with 3M's Mike Roman. Mike, let's talk innovation. So many companies have come up with new ways of doing all kinds of things over the past year. What innovations have developed at 3M? I think I know the answer.
0: Well, there's two big aspects of that. It's fighting the pandemic. A lot of innovation for us around fighting the pandemic. The uh, Mm -hmm. respirator ramp up didn't come without innovation. About a third of our intellectual property is in our factories. So innovating on manufacturing process, being able to produce more respirators was a big part of that. We worked with partners outside of 3M, other companies came to the front to help us with that. That was really powerful. We also innovated in new products and solutions for areas like biopharma filtration, supporting vaccines and therapeutics beyond N95 respirators. And at the same time, there are trends in the marketplace. We had kind of both sides of it. We saw markets that were dramatically impacted downward in the pandemic. Dental offices closed and we have a significant Oral care business, offices closed. People went to working remotely and our office supplies business was impacted. On the other side, we saw trends that we needed to step into with innovation. People are spending more on their homes, home improvement and work from home. A big focus on a trend that was there before, like indoor air quality. People are are more conscious of that. So being able to prioritize innovation. Automotive electrification, which was a priority growth area for us, coming into the pandemic, you saw a greater shift. And as we came through the end of 2020, many companies are announcing a rapid shift from internal combustion engines, OEMs, automotive OEMs, saying they're shifting to automotive electrification. our ramp up and investment in that as we went through the year was, was another example.
3: Yeah, I got an office chair for Christmas, even though I asked for post-it notes, Alan, just letting you know.
0: <laughs> Multicolored. It's
3: the
2: colors. It's the colors that it's you
3: the, want. It's the clarity it brings to my mind that I'm looking for.
0: Well, even in the virtual world, they're a great collaboration to, you know, device and, and really helpful they for are. bringing people together. So I, I would encourage you to keep using them at home.
2: Yeah, but I, I've noticed, Mike, that some of these companies like Miro and Mural now have digital post-it notes. Are you suing them for uh, stealing your intellectual property? I mean, that should be those should be yours, shouldn't they?
0: Well, there's a digital world out there for a lot of 3M solutions and and post-it notes is is a good example. So I I agree.
3: You don't want to piss off big, big post-it note.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh,
2: um, Ellen and I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking to business leaders who say something different is in the water, something different is going on these days in the way business operates and particularly in its focus on impact on society. Now, you just told us 3M has been around for over 100 years. Applying science to improve lives has been your purpose for that century, and you've stuck pretty close to it. But from your perspective, do you think anything different is going on today?
0: Well, I, I, I think that's another area that was a strong trend coming into the pandemic. And like many other aspects fundamental changes there have accelerated as we've come through the pandemic and, and even the discussion we had about us stepping up our leadership in mm-hmm. in n95s that's an example of our, our stakeholders broadly having higher expectations for us and we saw that in our and what's expected out of our innovation and our response to the pandemic we see that from our employees and our customers and our shareholders they expect us to make a difference in other areas and for us, a couple of areas under what would be called ESG, so environmental social governance. Those are very important areas that we see it as our responsibility to step up and our stakeholders are are looking for that as well. So we we did a lot in 2020 in response to the killing of George Floyd here in Minnesota. Yeah. There was a, a call for action. It hit our 3M employees hard and we went through a process of listen, understand, and and then really lining up how we wanted to act. And we put our focus on the Twin Cities, first and foremost, and, and what can we do as a company? Where do we have strengths around STEM education and workplace opportunities, and looking at the future of work, and racial justice uh, in the future of work? And that's an area that, we are stepping up. And I I think that's a a clear shift that companies are are stepping into in a bigger way.
2: I saw more recently you announced a a billion-dollar investment over the next decade or so to improve your water usage at your plants. A billion dollars is a lot of money.
0: It is. And this is building on a legacy... Of this idea of science applied to improving lives, we go back to preventing waste. we're a manufacturer preventing waste at the source pollution prevention pays we've uh, reduced our greenhouse gas emissions over the last two decades by over sixty percent. so this is a it's a foundation that we have we've taken a third of our factories globally to zero landfill waste. These are all part of what we have been focused on, and we saw the need and and we really saw a responsibility for us as a manufacturer to step up and provide leadership, environmental stewardship in new ways. And so we came out with an announcement of a goal to be carbon neutral by 2050. And importantly, and really what I'm proud of most in there is we're bending the curve early in that time frame. We're taking our greenhouse gas emissions down by 50% by 2030, 60% by 2035 and 80% by 2040. So we are, driving a bending of the curve early, not a long slope to 2050. We also announced water stewardship and reducing the use of water in our factories and improving the quality of water that comes out of our factories, putting in state-of-the-art filtration technology and improving our water quality. We'll have everything online by the end of 2023. So it's really big goals further out with a serious impact on them early and that's those are examples of how we're, we're seeing ourselves expected to step up and and the leadership that we that's, we need to provide yeah.
3: well I just want to flip Alan's question um, a little bit and look at the past and I appreciate that 3M for such an established company has been working for quite a while thinking about these things and you're ramping up and you're stepping up in really in powerful ways and you're sharing what you're learning, which I think is is really important. but not every company has. And lots and lots and lots of organizations not older than yours or, or younger than yours have something in their legacy systems, whether it's about the environment or about people or about race or any of those things that need to be investigated. What is your best advice for, for leaders who are in a different position to think about how they can move forward that with both acknowledging what's happened, remedying what's happening, and building back in a better way?
0: Part of the reason I think it's important companies step up is we do we do know how to solve things we do know how to to deliver on our goals, so I, my, I guess my advice is use the same lessons and and abilities you've built in business success and apply them more broadly to whatever priority whatever is most important to your stakeholders and and that includes your employees often they are the best uh, guidepost for or some of those priorities and where you need to get better. And Mike, as you
2: increase your investment in water and environment and in your employees and in uh, resiliency, duplication to deal with the once in a century crisis, is there ever a trade-off for the shareholders where they're getting less because of these investments?
0: Well, there's been a lot of talk about stakeholder capitalism. And I, I signed on to the BRT purpose of a corporation commitment. And the reason it was straightforward and, and easy really for me to do that is that has been who 3M is. We recognize that and, and we we really strive to deliver for our shareholders. We also recognize we won't deliver for our shareholders if we don't deliver for our customers. So we have to focus on them as a priority. We won't deliver for our customers or our shareholders if we don't attract top talent. Our innovation, our science applied to improving lives, that's people. That's talent bringing the creativity, the solutions. And and it means you're putting a focus on shareholders and delivering for them. You're also recognizing you won't get there if the communities you're part of don't provide you with a license to operate and don't see you as adding value. And if your business partners don't trust you and wanna work with you, you won't be successful. So there's a very clear connection for us and it's- And no conflict. No, no conflict. And it, if anything, if you lose sight of that, your ability to do it sustainably for shareholders is, is just not feasible. You're just not gonna be able to do it.
2: Well, uh, Mike Roman, thank you for everything you're doing and for being with us on Leadership Next.
0: Well, thank, thank you, Alan, and thank you, Alan. Appreciate being with you today.
2: Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell, Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.